So, wire down. Uh, let's open up in a word of prayer. Uh, Mr. Reader M, could you open us up in a word of prayer? All right, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this evening. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. We ask that uh, you help us now as we look at your word. I pray that you help uh, Brother John as he leads this Bible study and this uh, Looking at Moses, the tabernacle, and obviously there's a lot of things here, but uh, pray that you just uh, help us to uh, honor you and let you have your way in our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so yes, obviously we are on, well, maybe not so obvious. Um, my wife told me the other day, she's like, can I write the notes so we can both read them? <laughs> but we're on lesson number nine. Moses and the Tabernacle. When I take my time, I can write nice, but when I'm, when I'm writing fast, it gets pretty scary. So she is right. Sometimes I can't read my own fast handwriting. But. So we're on Lesson 9, Moses and the Tabernacle, and it's kind of paralleling that to living a consecrated life. So kind of why we saying, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. So it goes right along with the message tonight. So, um, getting right into it, throughout Israel's record and uh, recorded history, God not only desired to have a dwelling place among His people, He was pleased when this place was one of order and beauty. This is a great reminder for us, sometimes baffling, that some people would be content to see the church furnished from the thrift stores while exquisitely furnishing their own homes. Um, King David came to the realization that his own house was more elegant than God's house and consequently uh, began the building of the temple. Uh, could somebody look up 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 through 3? And then if somebody else would look up Haggai chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Andy's got 2 Samuel. If you would go ahead and read that. And then you got Haggai. 2 Samuel 7, verses 1 through 3. And it came to pass, when the king sat in his house, and the Lord had given him rest round about from all his enemies, that the king said unto Nathan the prophet, See now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in thine heart, for the Lord is with thee. So yeah, we see there how, yeah, David just realized, ah, look where I dwell, but... The Lord, his, um, he's still in a, in a tent, basically. So, yeah, it bothered him and moved him to start working on the, on the temple, gathering stuff there. So when God saw centuries later that his people had lost respect for his house, he spoke to them through the prophet Haggai. Haggai chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you... O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste. Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. In today's text, Moses built, 
furnished and established the administration of the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God, as Israel journeyed toward the promised land. So point number one, the detailed what? Well, nope, this has to do more with, we'll say, has more with instructions, but it starts with a D. Direction. The detailed directions. God gave careful directions for the construction of this portable dwelling place. Oh, I should write directions up there. Hmm, let's do poifel. He told uh, the Israelites exactly what type of wood, materials, and metals were to be used and how they were to be put together. This instruction obviously came at the, t- at the time period prior to blueprints and computer-aided design. That's me. And God's instructions to Moses were entirely verbal. If Moses had any pictures or diagrams to consult, he made them himself, he made them himself from what God told him. The total area of the tabernacle with its connected buildings may have been around 600 feet by 400 feet. The dimensions measured to be 90 feet long, 30 feet wide, and 40 feet high. The length of the holy place was 60 feet, and the length of the holy of holies was 30 feet. So if you ever get down into Andy's neck of the woods, they have that little tabernacle uh, set up there, uh, replica. It is interesting to get the... um, just the scope and the picture of kind of what it is, the scale, I should say. Actually, because uh, we went down there when we were on vacation and we'd seen that. It was pretty neat. It wasn't like as big as like I was thinking it was because it's just real hard with all the pictures and you see like the mass of people um, that's always depicted in the pictures and diagrams. It's hard to get like a real feel of how big it actually is. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really neat. It gives you a, a real a lot better understanding of what things were and all that. Um, so yeah, stop stop down there if you get a chance. Sub point A, God told Moses what to do. What to do. When the Lord allows us... Uh, when the Lord allows us to build a building at Lancaster Baptist Church, Pastor Paul Chapel often reminds our congregation that it's not about equal giving, but about equal sacrifice. We see this principle practice here in Exodus as God wanted everyone who was willing to have a part in the building of the tabernacle. Um, of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart, Exodus chapter 25, verse 2. The children of Israel were willing to sacrifice. No one was forced to give a certain item or a certain amount. We find a New Testament reference to willing giving in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, when God says that he loves a cheerful giver. What amazing privilege and opportunity to be a part of something that pleases God in this way. And um, this is what Dad's always said of, like, that's the last thing the church needs is sacrifice out of duty but when it's something's given of the heart because the lord tells you to 
and you can delight in it. Uh, that's what the church needs. Um, so that's what we see here in the Old Testament with the children of Israel. Um, kind of a funny, kind of, kind of bad. And you do hear like a lot of sermons on robbing God of tithes and that sort of thing. And, and you know, it's true. I mean, the Bible talks about that, but sometimes the heart motives are wrong. You have pastors trying to really drive something. Not letting the Lord work, because the Lord will work, but it has an illustration here that's kind of funny, kind of along those lines. A pastor once made the following announcement to his church. I have good news and bad news. The good news is we have enough money to pay for our new building. The bad news is it's still out there in your pockets. (laughs) (laughs) So God's people were not only willing to sacrifice, they were willing to make a significant sacrifices. (laughs) Yeah, that was pretty good. God asked for gold, silver, brass, and certain types of cloth, stones, oils, and spices. The people gladly supplied all of these and more. Um, another funny illustration on sacrifice and kind of. Uh, sadly, we, for me, you, if you look hard enough, you always. Um, sometimes find yourself in this position of it's always easier to let somebody else sacrifice. Um, you do your part and you let us, somebody else. But it's a funny illustration of that. The story has been told about a pig and a chicken who were walking down the road one morning. They noticed a garage sale sign in front of the church. At the bottom of the garage sale was the menu of breakfast items they were serving, ham and eggs. The chicken turned to the pig and said, look, we can help with breakfast. The pig replied, yes, but yours is only a contribution. Mine is a total sacrifice. <laughs> but Kind of funny, but if you get down to the heart of matters, how often do we do that with each other? Um, so looking at what we can do. Why don't you sacrifice yourself, pig? But, so it's interesting that God asks for items of value. While it runs contrary to our selfish nature, to give our best to the Lord, we need to remind ourselves that we cannot outgive God. Luke chapter 6, verse 38 admonishes, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Excuse me. God wants and deserves our best, not our leftovers or our castoffs. And when we gladly give Him our best, we can claim His promise that He will bless us in return. Today, God still asks us to sacrifice our treasure, but He also wants to uh, but he also wants to give, um, wants us to give him our time and our talents. May we be uh, willing to use these gifts to bring him honor and glory. A quote by Oswald Chamber says, Sacrifice in the Bible means that we need to give God the best we have. It is the finest form of worship. Sacrifice is not giving up things, but giving to God with the joy the best we have. And it's kind of thinking, brought to mind of like when a little kid brings uh, something that's very special to them, to you, and gives it to you. And it, it may be their night toy that's disgusting and smells like a sewer. <laughs> but when they give it to you, you know, it means everything to them and how, how sweet that is when they want to 
shares about maybe we and that's really in the essence of what we we do to god god doesn't need anything we have but when it's something that's important to us that we can give to him um, how sweet that is to him all right sub point b god told moses what to do it ow speaking indian tonight Ooh, can i say that these days Speaking Guardian tonight <laughs> to all you Cleveland fans. <laughs> uh, probably shouldn't have said that, but God is a God of order. The genealogies of the Old Testament show his attention to detail. And in the New Testament, we are commanded to do everything decently and in order, referencing 1 Corinthians 1440. God himself demonstrates order in the creation of the universe and in all the works of his hands. It is therefore no surprise that God told Moses exactly how the tabernacle was to be constructed, uh, giving great detail for materials, measurement, and arrangements. In work that is accomplished for God, no detail is too small. At times we overlook details that may seem small to us, but are vital to God. Song of Solomon's 2.15 instructs, Take us the foxes, the little foxes, that spoil the vines. Small things can make a big difference. The parable of the talents, Matthew 25.14-30, teaches us that the Lord is looking for faithfulness in the small things, things that we may believe to be minor, but are nevertheless major to God. Our care and faithfulness in the small things is an indication that we can be trusted and rewarded with larger things, greater responsibilities. Luke 16, 10 through 12 says, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much, and he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit your trust to the true riches? If you have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? All right, it has a little note in here. Did it ever occur to you that God may give you more money if you demonstrate faithfulness with the money you already have? Or that God may use you in a bigger ways if you do your best right where you have, right where he has you now? Point number two, the delegated what? All the young people here were familiar with this word. Duties. Different kind of duties. Not the one that first comes to my mind. Actually, praise God, Joe is deciding to potty train. So that's nice. Less duties with two O's. God specially chose the tribe of Levi to perform the duties of the tabernacle. The Levites were set apart and sanctified servants of God. In today's age of grace, God reminds that we are special to Him and we are set aside for a purpose. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 5 and verse 9 says, Ye also, as lively stones, are built up, a spiritual house, and a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Verse 9 says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people, 
that ye should show forth the praise of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God calls us believers a holy priesthood. What a challenging thought. We have specific duties to fulfill just as these men of God did. What can we learn from these Old Testament priests? Point A, the priests were... Pointed. Ooh, good one. Oh, now I need some help. Who I? Coin. Coin. Dead. Yep. Yep. Do a little finger and. Yep. So I was just born in the wrong era. <laughs> born an Egyptian or something. That's true. Yeah, we don't want to drown in the Red Sea. So, God appointed priests solely from the family of Aaron. Some Israelites might have felt that the selection was too narrow or too exclusive, but this was part of God's plan. God's ways are often narrow and exclusive. When it comes to salvation, Today's pluralistic world maintains that one way is as good as another. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, uh, in John 14, verse 6. When it comes to service, God selects leaders to help guide his people. No matter what others may have thought, God made the choice and directed Moses to set apart Aaron and his four sons. We have already seen that God chose Moses to lead his people out of Egypt. We will see that God chose the faithful follower Joshua to lead the Israelites after the death of Moses. Throughout the Bible, God chooses certain people for certain tasks. God came to Gideon in Judges 6 verses 11 through 14 and appointed him to deliver Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Midianites. God called Samuel when he was a young boy, uh, 1 Samuel 3, and chose Saul, 1 Samuel 9, and then David in 1 Samuel 16 to rule over his people. God appointed the prophets, Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and others. The list goes on and on. In the New Testament, God chose Saul of Tarsus and told Ananias his reasons. Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 16 did somebody want to turn there? I have a long, lot of verses. If somebody wants to get the first, if you want to take the first uh, three verses in uh, Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 16. Um, well, yeah, if you want to take the last three verses. So if you go 10 through... 12, and if you do 13 through 16, that would be great. Uh, when there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go to the street which is called Straight, and inquire of the, in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth, and hath seen a vision a man named Ananias coming in, 
and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And then the last verse, we'll go on and read verse 16, says, For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. In today's text, we read that God chose Aaron. Similarly, he has chosen and appointed you to fulfill a specific purpose. It's amazing, you know, all these people that the Lord has chosen to do these things, you know, each and every one of us is chosen to do something for the Lord. Um, we're chosen to be that priesthood. Um, uh, what a humbling yet exciting thought. All right, point number B. Guidelines were given for their... Oh, this is going to be a tough one. Has to do with the way you kind of look. Close. Peril. Peril. God specifically stated that priests that the priest's garment were to be for the glory and for beauty. People are greatly concerned today about the beauty of their apparel. Fashion is an annual, multi-billion dollar industry. While Christians should strive to dress well, the greater emphasis should involve the glory of God and the principles of modesty and distinctiveness. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Ask anyone who has been in the military. The uniform means something. The insignia is a token for pride. The special symbol of one's unit or ship can still be or can still stir the blood of the veterans of the veteran decades after active service has ended. Many times we can identify an active duty member of by the way he dresses. Based on the way you dress, would people be surprised to learn you are a Christian? And that was uh, really, um, really kind of stuck with me because, like, you can. It's like, oh, I bet that's that's a military person, um, and you kind of tell ticket, tell kind of who people are, just by the way they dress and carry themselves. Um, but will we be that same way of how we dress and carry ourselves or be like, oh, yeah. they're a Christian? Uh, more of it, like, oh, yeah, I figured, figured they are. So, yeah, God had specific guidelines uh, for their apparel. All right, point number three, the dedicated... I made it harder on this, you guys, this time because I didn't give you a 
numbers of letters, but I did kind of make long and short for, is it a long word or a short word based on the length of their space? This'll give it away. Well, maybe. Dwelling, yeah. And my marker is being pitiful. up. The tabernacle has been built exactly as God commanded. His instructions have been followed precisely. Yet the tabernacle, much like a church, was far more than just a beautiful structure. It was a holy place where God would meet his people. Once the building had been erected, God gave again detailed instructions for the preparation of both the priests and the people. The tabernacle can meet the exact, uh, yeah, the tabernacle could meet the exact specifications by God, but if the priests were not prepared and the people were not consecrated, the result would be corruption. Today's church building itself does not make the church. The church is made up of people. The church, um, I'm going to pronounce it ecclesia in the Greek, is after all, an assembly, not the place where the assembly meets. And suppose that the church building is damaged, destroyed, or perhaps under construction, and that the congregation temporarily meets somewhere else. The church still exists. In the same way, the material aspects of the tabernacle were secondary to the consecration of the priest and the people. Mark 13, 1-2 says, And as he went out of the temple... One of his disciples saith unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answering him, answering, said unto him, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. All right, point, sub-point number A, the what were consecrated. Oh, did I put the word down there? Uh, oh. oh, I blanked out the wrong one. Well, consecrated, so we'll say. Hieroglyphics there. No in. Oh wow, that was bad. Yeah, that's right. Need to be like zoomed over a little bit. And just like put a hyphen in there to make it one word or something. <laughs> Bend the rules a little bit. Yeah, put the wrong blank. The blank was supposed to be priest, but maybe I was making it harder on you guys. That's probably what it was. <laughs> 
priests were consecrated. God's priests were to be sanctified, which means set apart. This passage gives great detail on the priests' preparation for service. They had special garments and were anointed with special oil. Most importantly, a continual burnt offering was offered by the priest uh, in Exodus chapter 29, verse 42, a sweet savor toward God. Thankfully, Christians no longer need offerings for sin because Jesus Christ made, for one, all-sufficient sacrifice on our behalf on Calvary. Christ ever lives to make intercession for us. Today we are his believer priests, purchased and set apart for his service. Another illustration, um, if, you, if you are enlisted in the military, most other pursuits are often suspended during the time of service. The serviceman's life centers on the serving of his country, whether and however his superiors direct. Uh, similarly, we are bought with a price and are not our own. If called upon God to do so, we should be willing to set aside personal pursuits in order to serve Christ effectively. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20 says, What? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. In Romans 12, verses 1 through 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. All right, sub point B. Well, what's the blanks there? <laughs> okay, so the people were what? Consecrated. Consecrated. It's for my hillbilly language. Doesn't help my spelling. It's consecrated. There's no in in there, I guess. The people were consecrated. The tabernacle was complete. Instructions were given to the priest. And now it was time for the people themselves to be consecrated. In Exodus chapter 30, verses 11 through 16, God provided atonement for his people. It is interesting that the price of atonement was one half shekel for rich and the poor alike. It is difficult to convert biblical monetary values into terms of modern currencies, especially these days, but it is apparent a half shekel was a sum of money everyone could afford or else God would not have required it. What a tremendous picture of salvation today. I'm talking about pictures again. Whether one is rich or poor, the only way to achieve salvation is through the Lord Jesus Christ. The price is no more and no less than the precious blood of Christ, which he has shed for all. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 19 says, For as much as ye know that uh, for as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversations received by traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot. 
God chose to use the Sabbath day as a special time for his children to draw closer to him, to consecrate them themselves, consecrate themselves to him and his work. Today we may set aside time to draw close to the Lord, and may we seek to be clean and yielded vessels who are ready for the Lord's use. Um, in conclusion, God made clear in Exodus 29 through 31 that there was to be an exact order for all aspects of the, of the tabernacle. The building, the priests, and the people. Christians must heed God's order and direction for their lives when we do God's work in God's way that we have God's blessing. We must guard against shortcuts that sometimes takes for our own personal uh, expediency. Furthermore, we must realize that God's ways are not our ways and that His ways are always best. And we just see how important it is to be consecrated, how much um, the Lord cares about detail. Uh, something that really stuck out to me, uh, even the way we dress, which that one's a hard one for me because I hate like dressing six million times or wearing something that's uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm a jeans and t-shirt kind of guy. Uh, but maybe we, um, like even the, the way we dress, the way we act, the way we talk, be um, consecrated to the Lord in just all those little details um, that the Lord has set us apart for the priesthood. So we've got a little bit of time. Let's go over a couple of the questions. Well, we didn't read the text, but so we'll just wing it. So if you want to go to Exodus chapter 25, verses 3 through 7 will be your hint. What were some of the building materials God asked his people for? So you'll find some of these answers. So if you have one off the top of your memory, there was gold, there was silver, there was precious stones, there's brass. Fine linen. There's goat's hair. There's wood. Skins. Oil, spices. Yeah. Um, onyx stones. Um, all sorts of stuff, and like he's detailed on what what that stuff is. Uh, purple and scarlet fine linens. Uh, it's all sorts of. All sorts of stuff. So, yeah, pretty interesting. Just how detailed the Lord is for that. What special group did God choose for the administration of the tabernacle? The tribe of Levi. Um, whom did God choose to be the priest in the tabernacle? Aaron and his sons. Yep. What is the meaning of consecration? So consecration means to be set aside for a special purpose. So the Lord has set us aside for a special purpose. What does the parable of the talents mean to us personally? So that's a kind of open-ended question. Anybody have any thoughts? What does that mean? Um, yeah, specifically to us in the context of 
being consecrated to the Lord. Um, what does the parable of the talents mean to us? I mean to you personally. Katie. Kind of what, it, yeah, kind of along those lines of kind of what I th- uh, thought of being consecrated and um, making the Lord impor- important to us and giving to Him. You know, the Lord gives us all different things, talents, and it's not all equal. But in the in the talents, the parables, you know, the Lord who the Lord expected. Uh, the same sacrifice from everybody, even though there wasn't as much given to some people, they still made the same sacrifice and rewarded the same, even though there wasn't as much. It's different, but the sacrifice is the same. Maybe we like sacrifice what's important. We only have our little slobbery bedtime toy, but you know that's what the Lord has given us, and that's the special thing that he's given us, and we give it back to him. That's, that's very special to him. All right. Describe an incident in your life when something that seemed small made a big difference. else all right Uh, for what purpose do you believe God has chosen you Um, yeah it's kind of a question we can answer uh, in our hearts and it's kind of like a one of those questions you know sometimes you forget you get busy um, you know what the Lord has for you to do and but then you get busy in life and you kind of forget what you're here to do and um, what he's called you to do. And it's good to just re-ask those questions yourself and get back on track and um, reprioritize some things and concentrate ourselves back to the Lord. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, we were chosen. We're, and 
how special that is. So, does anybody else have any other thoughts? Sometimes the grass just needs mowed, whether you can make straight lines or not. And so, so saying, oh, it may not be the best, but some things need to be done, and getting in there and doing it um, means a lot. All right. Dad, if you come up and close us with your thoughts and uh, close us in prayer. Yeah. Um, what's next lesson? Uh, ooh, the golden calf. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to share something when we went to Lancaster and uh, we went and saw the tabernacle. Have you all been there? Okay. When I sat there and I, and I looked in, inside the holy place, of course, you have Aaron. <laughs> he does this. I don't know if it did, did it for you guys or not, but uh, I guess he was broke one time with you guys. But one particular thing that stood out to me was the candlestick. And let me ask you a question. Um, what do the Jewish people, what do they call that candlestick? Menorah. And... What does it represent to them, and how many candles are on it? Nine. The menorah, at least at Hanukkah, but they do also talk about the candlestick with the seven candles. Now, I was just looking on my phone trying to figure out, so what do they have as the meaning, and of course the the, the one with the eight, um, they use the center one to light each one each day, but I guess the candles burn for an extra day that it shouldn't have or something along those lines. Some kind of Jewish like tradition or whatever. I, I don't know exactly what that was, but I come to the question, and, and maybe Brother Mike or somebody else, does the Bible besides Revelation chapters 1 through 3, is there given anything in the Bible that talks about what the meaning of the seven candlesticks are, except for that this is how it was to be designed? That you know of. I couldn't think of any. But the Jewish said, you know, it represents the seven days of creation. This, the, the center one is the, uh, the Sabbath, you know. And, and you have these things that people have put up. But if I just look at the Bible, and I was, as I was looking in there, 
I've seen the representation of the church back in the Old Testament. Um, there's a representation of, of, of Israel. There's the ephod and the, and the 12 stones. But I looked at that, and I thought, the only other place I know that the candlestick, and there's particularly seven, uh, is in the book of Revelation talking to the ch churches. So anyway, just a, a picture there. I just It kind of excited me to like look at, when I look at these things, you know God had these all for a purpose. And you don't really say much about it, just this is how it is. And uh, I mean, and it, I enjoy just like looking at it and looking at the representation of it because of what we know now. <laughs> and uh, seeing the veil there, they didn't know it was going to be split in two. They didn't know Jesus was going to be the high priest <laughs> for all of us. But as you look back, you can see a lot of those things that were, were hidden to them. So I just thought that was something I wanted to, to share with you that I saw lately. All right, because we weren't, doesn't, we're not getting into, like Brother Mike said, there's a lot you can talk about in there. And that is one of them. I don't know, I've heard that preached. And that, when you preach about the tabernacle and the holy place and the holy of holies and getting close to God, I don't know, that really, like, does something to me. I mean, it really, uh, that's an exciting, exciting time of, of life there. That would have been an incredible time to live. In the desert there and there would have been some difficulties but God manifested himself in some miraculous uh, ways there all right did anybody have any other thoughts all right let's pray father we do come before you thanking you for your goodness your love your kindness well God that we're able to read your word and we're able to look at things and be excited about them um, and father just uh, just that what a great god you are and how you want us consecrated to you set apart holy to live for you to represent you uh, to take your gospel to the world and so father may we do that and uh, thank you for this study through Moses, Lord, and we just ask your blessings on each family tonight and, and all those in the church, Lord God, that you'd watch over them in Jesus' name.